One of them is dealing with the Noble Eightfold Path, the Buddhist map to enlightenment. And I've been giving a series of talks lately on the path factors, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And taken as a whole, it can be intimidating because it seems like there's a lot to do, but in the case of Buddhism, there's a lot not to do. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about right speech, right action, and right livelihood according to Buddhism. Now, when you become an official Buddhist, you take the five precepts, you take the three refuges, and you get a certificate suitable for framing. <laughs> so what are the five precepts? They are, I will practice. And I, I love that word because it's always just practice. I will practice not to take life. I will practice not to take what is not given. I will practice not to indulge in sexual misconduct. I will practice not to speak unskillfully. I will practice not to consume intoxicants to the point of intoxication, which generally is the hardest one to practice. <laughs> so right speech, right action, and right livelihood fall into that sort of category of, of behavior. What you say and what you do and how it affects you and all the people around you. So there were four kinds of wrong speech. The four kinds of wrong speech are false speech, malicious speech, harsh speech, and gossip or idle chatter. Now I have to admit one of my guilty pleasures lately has been watching TMZ which is full of gossip and idle chatter. And in a way, it sort of counteracts all the serious talk that you hear on radio and television and by really smart people telling us that the end is near and you will suffer miserably. And then you find out about the relationship of two stars and is it on or is it off? And you go, yeah, okay, I can relate to that. Now, out of the four kinds of wrong speech, the worst one is not false speech. Though false speech undermines your reality. Now, that's just tripped me out when I first read that. Is here you are thinking you know what's going on, and all of a sudden somebody comes and gives you the exact opposite and says, this is true. And then you say to yourself, well, what is true? What is truth? What is, what is false? How am I ever going to know if it's really true if 10 people say it is and 10 people say it isn't? Now, the Buddha came from a place of empirical experience. He said, the truth comes out when you experience it, not when you think about it or ruminate about it but it comes out when you actually know it true to be you because you have been there. You've done that. You've seen the good and not so good. 
And now when people tell you that what you experienced is wrong, you have the option of just listening, saying thank you very much, and go get a cup of coffee. Because people are going to tell you all sorts of things. But malicious speech, that has anger and hatred connected to it. This can really make you feel bad when you don't need to, when there's no reason to. But this person doesn't like you, and this person's going to get back at you, and he's, he or she will use their language and words like bullets and knives. And you go, wow, am I really that bad? Have I really missed the point? Can I make up for it? And the idea is just to sort of settle in with it. Just let people see what they see, hear what they have to say. And you really don't have to do too much thinking about it. You can just sort of let go. Let it go. Where does it go? Who knows where it goes? But it doesn't need to stay with you. You've got a lot of stuff to do. You've got places to go. And you've got people to be. You can't be stuck with this. And then you've got, you know, the harsh speech. And I don't know if you're following the news. You're probably better off not following the news. But this road rage stuff. And talk about harsh speech. They get out of their car. And they come right up to your window. And sometimes they have utensils. You know? And you just go... What? I didn't use my blinker. So? And the harsh speech just comes right at you. And you go, wow, I will never not use my blinker again. I need to let everybody know if I'm going to go left or right. Okay. But you don't need to use harsh speech. You need to use kind speech. You need to use speech that is uplifting, that will make the person feel better because of what you said, not feel worse because of what you said. Now we come to right action. Not to kill, not to steal, and no sexual misconduct. Wow, killing, huh? You know, a lot of us, most of us, maybe all of us, kill every day without a second thought. Now we've had the rains, and now everything is growing, and what comes next? The mosquitoes. They're everywhere. And those new ones are so small you can't even see them. They just bite you. And then an hour later, you've got this little bump on your arm, and you go, how did that happen? Where did that come from? And then you see the mosquito, and you say to the mosquito, you'll never do that again. And you take them out. But did you have to? That's the deal. The cockroaches in your kitchen. They don't know it's your kitchen. <laughs> They're just there, looking for lunch. And you know, you don't want them there because that is your space. You have a mortgage, you've got property taxes, you've got insurance. That's not their space, it's your space. You work for it, you own it. Or rent it, and then you kill the cockroach. 
and figure your life is better off because the cockroach no longer exists in your life. And then, I love this commercial, and I think it's AAA, but I'm not sure. The guy saves a lot of money because he went to AAA. Okay. So he can do the thing he really likes to do. And what is that? He's got a boat, and he likes to go out on the lake and kill fish. That's what he's worked his whole life for, that boat to go out and kill fish. Now, I know it's euphemistic to call it fishing, because it sounds so, I don't know, like a hobby or something. You know, but really what you're doing is you're just killing the fish. Sometimes you eat it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just hold it up to the camera. Look how big this fish is, and I killed it today. And everybody's patting him on the back. Let's go have a beer. You killed the fish. You go, wow, killing. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. In Buddhism, it's never good. And that's the hard part, because sometimes you do have to kill. Sometimes if the mosquito has malaria, you really need to kill the mosquito so 10 human beings don't die. So what's the best way to kill a mosquito? The best way to kill a mosquito is wish the mosquito a happy rebirth. <laughs> that in its next lifetime, it'll be more than a mosquito. So you're doing the mosquito a favor. You know? Not to take what is not given. Man, man, you know? They're closing stores in San Francisco because people are going in and stealing stuff. So much stuff they can't afford to stay up in it anymore. And then the employee starts to prevent the theft and the store fires the employee for trying to help the store and not lose the stuff. Well, we really have to think about stuff. What is stuff? You know, we have a lot of it. Coming out of L.A. today, I passed this homeless person on the street. And there was a little tent, and next to the tent was the junk pile, the waste pile, as tall as the tent. I'm thinking humans really like stuff. We work our whole life to have a lot of stuff. And then we die, and then our family fights over the stuff that we couldn't take with us to the grave. And you go, wow. What good is all this stuff? I remember my grandfather had a two-story house. And it was a beautiful house. We go to visit. And then they got old. God, it happens to everybody. And they went from a two-story to a one-story. Okay. Then, then it got to the point where they needed to go into assisted living. So they each had a room. My grandmother and my grandfather each had a room. Not together. I don't know what that means. And then my grandfather had one chair and one lamp. That was what he owned after a lifetime of buying and selling and hoarding and thinking stuff was so important that he couldn't let it go. Wow. I remember when I moved in to the meditation center, I had a guitar and I had a banjo and I had a keyboard and I had a couple harmonicas, and I said to myself, while well, I'm moving into the meditation center, this will be of no use to me any longer, because I'm going to become an ascetic. 
So I sold all the stuff, and the stuff I couldn't sell, I gave away. And now, after 30 years at the meditation center, I have a couple banjos, I have three guitars, <laughs> and I have about 20 harmonicas. I'm thinking, how did that happen? How could that practice of asceticism and letting go turn into having even more stuff? The one thing I didn't give away was my desire. And that desire kept prodding me and pushing me to acquire this and acquire that and get that. I'm like, wow, okay, it worked. Now I'm getting really old, well, sort of old, and now this stuff, I can't play three guitars. It's too much. I don't want to play three guitars. So I'm going to have to give some of them away and let other people enjoy what I had for all those years. Let them enjoy it too. Okay. So this stuff that we keep acquiring, we don't need to steal other people's stuff. That's them. Ownership is an illusion. We never own anything. We're just using it until somebody wants it more than we do. Or we can't find it. <laughs> or the new model comes out. And we go, wow, okay. That's what I've always wanted, that new model. It's finally here. Sexual misconduct. Yeah, this is a big one. Because everybody likes sex. You know, if people didn't orgasm, we'd have far fewer people on this earth. It just goes to show you, nature tricked us, you know, and we have kids and we have more kids and we have grandkids and we have great grandkids. It works so well, eight billion people and counting. Okay, so what is sexual misconduct according to Buddhism 2,600 years ago? He said, do not have sex with people that are married. I thought, that's interesting, because before he was the Buddha, he was Siddhartha Gautama, and he had a wife, and he had a child named Rahula. So he understood the value of a family unit and how important it was to protect it. So he said, don't have sex with people who are married. He then said, don't have sex with people who are engaged. You don't want to change their minds. They worked hard to find their partner, their mate. And now you're going to put a question mark in there? No, no, no. You're going to cause a lot of karma, bad karma for yourself and everybody else. So don't have sex with people who are engaged. He said, don't have sex with people who are children being supported by their parents. Because they're children being supported by their parents. Now, I know in 2023, a lot of people are moving back home, and maybe they're 40. So is it okay to have sex with them? Check with their parents. And then he said, don't have sex with prisoners. Now, I'm thinking I never wanted to have sex with a prisoner. How did, how did that come up? And one of the commentaries I read was, don't have sex with people against the will. Apparently, prisoners don't have much to say about what happens to them. So he was saying, you know, if the person doesn't want to have sex with you, don't have sex. Don't force it. Don't push it. Enjoy the freedom of being single. 
Enjoy the freedom of non-attachment. Because it will change once that person walks into your life and you'll say, I don't want to be single anymore. I've missed this my whole life. I am so excited that I have a chance now to have a partner in life. And four divorces later. <laughs> so I, giving a talk at a, a high school, somebody asked in the audience, in, in the children, how do you feel, Kusla, about never having been married? You know, has that affected you at all? I said, well, I have 10 cats. <laughs> so I guess it did affect me in some way. So now, now we have right livelihood. What is right livelihood? It's making a living that doesn't increase suffering. Can you find a way to make money and not increase suffering? And this is really difficult because a lot of people don't care about the suffering, they care about the money. And money is good, we all need money. The question is how much do we need, but we all need money. So what are some of the things we could do? Well, maybe we could be a politician. And then, after further thought, <laughs> you go, well, some of them are really good. Some of them actually make laws and change laws that benefit humankind. So not all politicians are bad. But your job, if you became a politician, would be to be a good politician, to reduce suffering, to feel sensitivity and empathy for all the people that you're making laws for. How about, how about being a school teacher? Really good, doesn't pay well, but really good. I understand it doesn't pay well, you know? And it takes a special kind of person to be a teacher. I don't think I could be a teacher. I, I don't have those characteristics necessary to listen to somebody who's 17 and has this wonderful vision of the future and then I'm old and I look at my future and say, wow, I have a lot more past than future. And is it wonderful? And then if it's not wonderful, how can I accept it? And all that kind of stuff wouldn't lead to being a good teacher. Maybe a realistic teacher, but not a good teacher. How about garbage man? You know, they're out there every week picking up that trash that you don't want. You know? They're benefiting our city and our state and they're benefiting your neighborhood. And yeah, that might be good. I've never talked to anybody who wanted to be a garbage man, though. You know, it seems like, well, I guess I have to do it because I need the money. But it would be a right livelihood. You know, it would be a way to make a living and reduce suffering in the world. And then you have, well, maybe I'll be clergy. You know, those clergy guys and gals, they're all out there making a difference in the world. They have so many wisdom teachings that they can share with us to help us live our life a little bit better. And then when we get close to the end of our life, they can help us die well too. Maybe I'll be clergy. Well, clergy is tough because sometimes it doesn't pay well. Though some of those TV evangelists, they're doing okay. But the other ones, the ones that actually, you know, go out and talk to people and are concerned about the welfare of the congregation, they don't necessarily make a lot of money. They may make enough money. But even that's in question because most of the money comes in as donations. And if you rely on donations, it's tough. Feast or famine. You never can figure it out. There's no steady kind of thing.
you know. But I think clergy would be good because you wouldn't be necessarily sharing knowledge. You'd be sharing wisdom. And wisdom is the language of the heart, not the language of the intellect. So that would be nice. And that little change of perspective, that little twist could make a difference in your life and the life of everyone around you. So when it comes to right livelihood, you know, I don't know if all of us really had this idea of what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. And then we started to do it and realized you didn't want to do it anymore. And so you took this path and that path. And then you finally get to Social Security and maybe a little pension if you're lucky. And you look back in your life and say, did I choose my life or did life choose me? Which one was it? I always felt I was in charge, but then I thought about it because of all the wisdom teachings I've been accepting as ultimate truth rather than relative truth. And maybe I wasn't in charge at all. Maybe past karma had something to do with it. Maybe being kind had something to do with it. Maybe there were a lot of reasons why I ended up doing what I did. And you know, in the end, it's pretty much all the same. You made it. You made it through life. You might have had an old car or a new car. You might have had a wife or no wife. You might have kids or no kids. You might have pets or no pets. But somehow you made it through life. And now you're coming to the closure of your life. And you look back and said, yeah, yeah, this is good. I'm really happy I did this. And in the case of Buddhism, we can appreciate the teachings of the Buddha for giving us direction. Because in Buddhism, we don't think the Buddha could do it for us. We think that he told us how he did it, and that was our cue. That was our intention, to do it the way he did it in our own way. So I don't think two people become enlightened in the same way. I don't think people are choosing their path as much as they think they are. I think we're sort of along for the ride in the flow. And it's wonderful. And it's too bad there aren't more people that are happy about it. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your time. And I brought my harmonica today. So let me pull that out. It's been a while since I played my harmonica because uh, of um, COVID. And people don't understand that when you have a harmonica, you stick it in your mouth. And those hands that are holding that harmonica that is now in your mouth has shaken four or five hands, has touched the doorknob, a few of the chairs, and, and you're sort of wondering, will I get COVID by sticking this harmonica in my mouth? Well, after a couple of years and successfully avoiding COVID, I picked up my harmonica again. And I thought, wow, this sounds really good, you know? And this is my favorite harmonica. This one only has six holes. And you know what they say about limitation? It causes you to find the workaround. It causes you to be more creative.
when you have a lot of limitations. So I thought I'd try a six-hole harmonica to see if those limitations would allow me to play better. So you can be the judge. Here we go.